Thank you for coming to the podcast. Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com is brought to you by an exciting new sponsor of ours. We are pleased to announce that we have partnered with ADK Fightwear, a family-run fightwear company located in the Adirondack Mountains of New York. They have high-quality gear with clean graphics at a reasonable price. You can look good while training the sport that you love, so whether it's going to the World Championships or whether you're just trying to get physically fit at your local jiu-jitsu gym, meet them at the top of whatever mountain you decide to climb. And if you go to adkfightwear.com right now and use promo code TURTLE, that's T-U-R-T-L-E, you get 10% off your first order. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast on flowcombat.com, and it starts right now. David Tremonti with Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com, and I have the pleasure today of speaking with Gina Carano, the former Strikeforce Bantamweight Champion and star of the movie Scorched Earth, which hits theaters February 2nd. So, Gina, the, the movie career is just in full gear now. Let's start there. Um, talk to me about how preparing for a movie is different than preparing for a sport like MMA. Um, I think it's just a different, uh, it's just a different art, so training for MMA is, uh, obviously, mixed martial arts, you focus on the physicality of, uh, you know, the person that you're going to get in the cage with, or a ring, um, and then preparing for the movie is going into the storylines, the character development, the, um, you know, the costume, the costumes, who you're working with, the director, what he's looking for, um, just all of that. So it's just, it's just completely different art. Absolutely. And now I'm not a Hollywood guy myself, but from what I've read and heard, it's a lot of waiting around when you're on those movie sets, right? Like you kind of get a little bored just waiting for your scene to happen. Yeah, I mean, you can get bored unless you like to be alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you... you if you like, you if you like to be alone, then you can, like, throw your time with some wonderful things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like that. I like that positive spin. Now, obviously, your movies, um, you know, you get physical in them, right? So, right, what's the training regimen like just for your movie career? Is it you know, similar to the level of training when you were doing MMA? I mean, maybe not as intense as, say, a fight camp, but but what's the physical training like for your movies? I think that, um, that, that is what I do miss about fight training, is that there is something very much different about training to have somebody, like, take your head off, you know. Um, but I do imagine that, you know, if, you know, Training, if you train for the right role, you can take it just that seriously. Um, and I'm learning that slowly. Um, so um, physicality, you can bring a physicality to a role just like you can, um, you know, a fight. So um, it's, just, it's just trying to tweak your mind to you know, to thinking that way. And that's what I've learned. That's what I'm starting to learn. You have to, you have to tweak your mind into thinking that, you know, this is just a different type of fight. Going on set and being this character and being this person is just a different kind of fight. So, um, yeah, I mean, look at, look at all this, the, the physical roles that, you know, like uh, Christian Bale did, you know, and like what, look what those, those people have done to their bodies, just to, you know, like all the weight they lost for the guys out of the Like, 
that, 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 is, that is some, like, different types of, like, training and torture that they put themselves through. So, it's, like, it's a different fight. Yeah, absolutely. And, you, and I'm sure your MMA background and the training for MMA prepared you well for that, that kind of preparation for when you're going into a movie role. Yeah, yeah, that part of the movies has been easy for me. Um, it's the other part that's been kind of like dropping your ego and kind of learning what it's like to be in a character and learning what it's like to be on set and learning what it's like to, um, you know, understand the story and all of that has been a lot, uh, a lot more challenging than the actual physicality. The physicality of the roles that I've taken has been. The, the easiest part for me where usually like people, you know, other actors have to really kind of like work their way up to that place. Like that's easy for me. The, the acting part is something that I'm just now like really, really like falling in love with, like, you know. So that's, that's, that's kind of like what I'm super excited about now. Have the other actors on that part of acting, not the physicality, because we know you have that. Have other actors been helpful in that regard? Have they, you know, when you, at least, I mean, now you've been doing it a few years and, and obviously your career's going very well, but at the beginning were other actors, you know, somewhat welcoming or did they sort of look at you as like an outsider? You know, it's really funny. It just depends on what set you're on. Um, it, it, it's kind of just like what kind of gym you go into. Like, you can be an outsider if you walk into a gym, just like you can be an outsider when you walk onto a movie set, you know? Like, movie sets can be just as clicky, and there can be just as, you know, the hierarchy and, like, the snobbery and, like, the, you know, the hazing factor. Um, and then you, you you meet some of the best actors on the planet, and there's no ego, and they're just kind of, you know, they, they can learn something from you, and it's, it's, it's really a beautiful thing. So it's, just, it's kind of like a whoever is in front of you, um, but mostly, I think the, the best actors that I've ever met, um, they're the ones that have helped me the most in showing me, like, you know, you just drop, they just drop their ego, and they, they've worked with the best, and they've worked with the worst, and they just drop their ego, and they just kind of, they end up on whatever stuff they end up on, and they just do, they just do them, and they're good at doing them, and they let everybody else take care of themselves, and they, um, they're, they're always positive and professional, and so um, I've been really fortunate to work with some really amazing people, and so um, I don't, you know, like I've taken that away from it. But I've also I've also walked into some interesting situations where it's like, holy, <laughs> like this, this is what the Hollywood that you hear about, like it was, you know, like growing up and like the frightening horror stories, like. That's only about there too, you know? Yeah. Now, as my job as a question questioner is, I do have to ask, can you name that set, or do you not want to reveal the uh, the bad drama set? No, I've never. I'm, I'm, I'm not a snitch. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. I, I didn't think we'd get that, uh, that reveal. Um, you know, so I asked you, you know, did other actors help out? Now, I know when it came to the acting side, I know Tim Miller, from what I read, specifically asked for you when he was filming Deadpool. I assume that's because, uh, you know, the fighting would come off authentic. You would come off authentic. Have you been able to maybe bring some you know, pointers, or have you ever been on set and working the choreography of a fight? Have you been able to chip in, or do you kind of just show up and, and do your job, or are you, you know, also offering some opinions on your actual fight scenes? Oh, man, all the time. Like, I've been on sets where 
like, I've been on all sorts of sets, like, no matter what, like, you know, usually I'm, like, a really, like, on the big sets, like, you know, there's, there's still choreographers um, on, like, the, the big sets are usually just, like, hot knots, you know, so you really want to kind of, they've got so much going on, so you, you, you know, like, time is of, like, you know, time is money on big sets, so you don't want to, like, put your, your foot in too much. But they know who you are. If you come from a fighting background, and they do value your opinion. So of course they want to do whatever you're comfortable doing. So like, um, there's so much respect between stunt um, coordinators and fight and like the mixed martial arts world that they really kind of go hand in hand because they they both respect each other. Mm. Um, but like I've been on like you know smaller stuff where you just kind of like walk on set and you're like, bro, the freaking cinematographer guy is not even the right priest. Like, we need to keep, we're not even getting the right shots here. Like, you know, like, you know, and I've also been on the set where, like, we had to make up the fight scene on the day. We only had two hours to make it up um, before we filmed it. So, like, wow. you know, if you go, when you do, like, independent films, like I have, and you go and for some independent films, which independent films can be just floppy, you know? Mm. Um, and then you do, like, like, big, massive films, like, you just kind of get a full range of, like, what the world of making movies is like, and you're, like, you kind of understand what um, my first experience was, like, why somebody like Steven Soderbergh surrounds himself, like, with the, the crew that he surrounds himself with. He's known, you know, you know, the director, photographer, like, he knows everybody, and most of them have worked for him for, like, 25 to 35 years, you know, and everybody knows how he likes things done, and it's such a professional set, so, like, it's the dangers of doing an independent film, but I'm glad I, I have the experience that I have because for the last eight years, I've been putting in some serious work, you know? Yeah. I, I put in work on big, huge films. I've seen how that goes. I've been around the best, you know, the best actors on the planet. And then I've been around, maybe not the best actors, but, like, the actors that have the biggest names, you know? And then I've been around some, some actors that are wonderful actors that just never got their chance, you know? Um... And I've been around, like, I've just got this really great um, perspective on how movies are, are done now. So I think moving forward, um, like, we, we filmed Scorched Earth, too, so I think moving forward, um, I'm going to put out my own my own kind of artistic, creative perspective on things now. Because now I've got, like, an idea of how it works. Now I'm going to start doing what I want to do instead of, you know, I'm not going to keep on doing these, like, yeah, you know, because it's just, I, I just can't, like, for me, I want to put some, something beautiful out there in the world that I'm proud of, where I, like, I'm, like, doing interviews non-stop, so I'm, like, hey, I'm calling these people, and I want to get on this radio, so I don't want to talk all about it, you know? Right. And I'm trying to make, like, I can put something out in the world where I can, like, impact lives so people actually feel, this is where I've been coming from, because I don't feel like I've actually found my voice yet, and I feel like I'm just starting to, so, um, for whatever reason... Um, I'm actually starting to get there, and um, I moved back to LA probably four months ago. And I've, I'm like, I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling really passionate, and I'm gonna start moving forward. And um, it's gonna be good. I think there's, you know, wherever I'm at right now, I feel like I'm just kind of even just starting from scratch. And I'm, with all this knowledge that I've been through, I'm gonna start from scratch, and I'm gonna make something great. And I can. I'm just gonna say that right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is awesome. I mean, you sound you sound very motivated in the new career, and yeah, you know that that's great. You know, congratulations, and obviously you you have had success. You worked with Steven Soderbergh. You know, you were in a Fast movie, which those movies always make a billion dollars. 
Um, and now here you are starring in your own movie that's going to be in theaters in, in a week. Um, you know, we are an MMA podcast, so I can't let you get away without asking a couple MMA questions. If, if no, you know, I love okay. the answer. I've never, you know, I've more, more of a thing of MMA than I've ever been, to be honest, now. Really? Why, why um, is that? Why do you think that is? I think because when I was doing it, I was just surviving. You know, like, I was just in it, I was surviving, and it was also fresh and new, especially for you know, females, like, it was just, like, I was out there in front, and, like, you know, it wasn't like I was the first female, because there were so many females that had done it before me, but I was, like, definitely, like, the most known at the time, and, uh, like, I was just kind of, like, well, there's no blueprint on how to freaking do this, so I just got to, like, put my head down and do it, you know, so it was just kind of, um, it was just a really special kind of, like, moment where you, you truly are carving your own path, you know, so I think that that was a survival, that was where I was at, I was just surviving, so it was hard for me to even watch fights, because I get so much anxiety, because I, 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 I was just trying to do the best I could at that time. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that makes a ton of sense to me. And, you know, it ties into my, the question I wanted to ask you was, you know, as you see that, I guess the sport has become more accepting, or I shouldn't say that. The UFC has become more accepting of women's fighters. Obviously, Dana once said they would never have women's fighters. Then Ronda came along. I mean, Holly and Chris Cyborg were the third biggest pay-per-view of uh, last year, 2017. Um, You know, you see girls headlining shows now. Does part of you ever wish, like, you were still in the sport? Do you ever say to yourself, like, man, I, I sort of missed the, the golden age almost, so to speak? I, you obviously were huge at the time, but, you know, now it's women's fighting is bigger than it ever has been. So how do you kind of, like, rectify that in your mind? Well, I mean, I, I don't think that there's, like, a day that I'm like, that I'm not, like, on the treadmill, and I, I'm not, like, <laughs> I'm not, like, like, hunting and catching somebody in my head, and like, oh, God, but, like, I, I, I literally, literally, you know, um, you know, I, I worked with some of those girls that, you know, at some point, you know, I fought Chris, and... Um, I've worked with some of the girls now, um, I still train, um, I just, I, I don't know, I don't know at what point, I don't think it ever leaves you as, uh, a fighter, like, I, I, I never thought, like, I'd ever, you know, like, I never retired, because I always felt like, you never know what I'm gonna do, <laughs> you know, like, I feel like, art is just kind of, it's, it's what you do with your body as well as what you do with your mind and what you do with your spirit and how you put those all together. And I don't, I've never really followed a certain set of rules on how to do that. And so I just never kind of, uh, I never pay attention to what everybody's expecting of me. I also, the only thing I did know is that I could never come back, um, I could never come back and fight the way, like, with my priorities not set. Because mm. I know that that, um, or, or do it for the wrong reasons, you know what I mean? Like, I could never do it, you know, use it for the money, or I could never do it for um, the attention, or I, I really have to do it to, to, for myself and to see to see if I wanted it, wanted it and had it in me to put myself there, you know, again, because that would be the only reason why I'd ever want to do that. Um, so that's been kind of, like, 
don't know. It's always been a part of me. That question's always been there, and that's never obviously gone away. I can't get I can't get through a workout without it. I don't know if it ever goes away. Yeah. I'll let you know if it does. Yeah. Please do. Well, let us be the first to know, but I'm sure it won't. I mean, we, there have been so many rumors. I'm 27 years old in my basement. You know, oh, <laughs> right. <I'm> not. <laughs> Senior citizens fights in the old folks home? I, I could see it. Um, I mean, it's just like... <laughs> Um, there have been so many there have been so many rumors in the past eight years just about that comeback has there ever been a point where it was really close I mean there have been like a million rumors that it's been close but has has it ever been really close to you coming back oh man you have no idea there's been a lot of a lot of with both like there's been a lot of moments um yeah there's been a lot of close times um, yeah, there has been. Fair enough. Contracts signed or no contracts signed? Um, there's been contracts, but there hasn't been any contracts signed. Um, and, you know, that was like, that was for a number of different reasons. Like, um, I guess, like, the, like, it, when, when all I came down to it, I, I, like, either like, a film told me this way, and I was like, all right, okay, so I'll just go do this film, and then I'll come back, and then, you know, like, you know, and then I'll just get more serious, and I'll, you know. And then, so, like, some, when, when something constantly keeps pulling you away, you kind of figure, well, you're putting your priorities, you know, you're obviously not making this a priority, maybe you don't want to do it, you know. Um, and then there was moments where, like, there's just, there just a lot of moments. And, um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where we're at right now, actually. Right now, I'm just in L.A. and I want to put some art out there. That's where my heart is right now. Um, and I want to do that more than anything. I want to do that physically. Um, I want to do that mentally. I want to do that um, artistically. I want to do that in, in the best way I can. And, and maybe all those kind of come together in a way in a beautiful way, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure how exactly they're going to come together, but it's, um, it's starting to kind of reveal itself to me, so we'll see. Wow. Well, yeah, you know, I'm, like I said before, we're very happy for you. Congratulations on the success. Um, you sound like you are very dedicated to your new craft, but there's always a door open. Uh, you know, if your motivation would be there, and from the sounds of it, you would want to come back for you know, a, a title run or an intriguing matchup, you wouldn't just be coming back for, for the quick payday, which we know you could get. Um, last question for me, and I can't thank you enough for the time. I've definitely kept you longer than I said I would. Did you catch Ronda? No, okay. Did you catch Ronda Rousey's WWE debut? And what have you think? What do you think of her moving to wrestling? Um, I think that you know, I I think that it's whatever is in her heart that she wants to do. You know, like. I, I don't really watch WWE, so um, somebody explained to me it's kind of like a soap opera. So, yes. um, so I mean that's cool. Like it, it's I think it's whatever anybody wants to do. And when you start doing things that like, and this is a problem that I kind of got caught up in. I started doing things that you know I, I felt like you know other people around me were saying that you need to do this to be successful, you need to do this to be successful. And what happens when you do those things is you lose yourself and the middle of it all, you know? And then you take a whole, like, a lot longer to get back to 
who you are and what you're doing, what you really honestly want to put out there. So, I mean, if that's what she wants to do, that's what she wants to do. And, like, that's awesome. Like, oh, that's, that's so cool. At least she knows herself and she knows what she wants to do. And I think that if you're a true fan and if you really, like, love that person's journey, then you support, you know, that person what they want to do. That's what I think. Yeah. Um, one last thing I'll say about uh, what, I, what I want to do, I also want to try to figure out um, how to help people like other fighters um, and this is part of like what I'm doing. I want to help. I want to help fighters. You know, because what do fighters do? What are their options when they get done fighting? Right. Right. I want to help them figure out how to like tell their stories and like you know be be what they want to be after they get done fighting. Like they don't. Obviously, you can't fight for an entire lifetime. I mean, whatever. Like those women did it. You know. And, back at, like, in the 50s, and, you know, but, like, not everybody is a good format, you know? Right. So, like, I want to figure out, there's so, like, there's so much more to fighters than fighting, and and I want to figure out how to make sure that fighters know that there's a life outside of it once they're done, and and I think that, that fighters are beautiful performers, I think they're beautiful specimens, their they're physicality, I love pointing, I love pointing the, 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 the camera at people. But I, I think that sir, I love when you point a camera at a fighter and they're just themselves. There's something so beautiful in that, you know? Yeah. And so um, I'm going to figure out how to bring, bring the art out of fighters instead of bringing like, the, the character out of them. So that's also something I'm trying to figure out. So maybe I'll be able to be like it. Yeah, I will. I, I think that's an awesome idea. I think mixed martial arts uh, athletes, performers are some of the most unique individuals in all of sports. And I think they're all yeah. of them have a lot of personality to give and, you know, bring to artistic endeavors. I think there is like an artistic aspect to MMA. It's in the name. Um, and I think yeah. a lot of fighters are having trouble transitioning once they get out, you know, if they don't, if they didn't make that like top line money and they don't, you know, teach or want to go do seminars or, you know, own a gym, which is also understandable. It's like, what, what else do they do? And I think think that's an awesome, awesome idea. And Hey, guess what? You've been really successful after leaving MMA. So you'd be a good person to talk to about it. Um, Yeah. And I I want to kind of figure that out and, and I would be a good person to talk to, and I would be a good person to be behind the camera and help them, you know, discover that in themselves. So I, I kind of want to help them do that. So, you know, because I got a really big special place, like a special place in my heart for fighters, because I know what it's like. And I know what it's like to be there. I know what it's like to not know what your future is like. I know what it's like to hustle and, you know, to work it so hard and to, like, you know, go fight to fight and, you know, like, and promoters and I mean we have to make something out of ourselves on the side you know when we were fighting because if we didn't like you know if we didn't have a side hustle mm-hmm. then like promoters wouldn't pay attention to us so if we weren't making something here then promoters wouldn't be they, they be right you know so it's like um I want to I want to figure out how to do that because because they are such beautiful incredible athletes and on top of like Artists, like, I mean, they're fascinating human beings, so I want to figure that out. 
Well, that's awesome. Um, Gina, we, we cannot thank you enough for the time. Everyone should check out Gina's new movie, Scorched Earth, which looks pretty badass. Um, and you can check that out in select theaters on February 2nd. Gina, we cannot thank you enough for the time, and we wish you the best of luck uh, with everything you might do this year, movies, or if that itch comes back and maybe you get into fighting. Whatever it is you do, we wish you luck in it. Well, thank you, and I appreciate all the support always. I always feel the love from the MMA community, and I, I promise you I'll never take it for granted. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and I have the pleasure today of speaking to the Quiet Storm, Randa Marcos, fresh off of her victory over Juliana Lima at UFC on Fox 27. Uh, Randa, let, let's talk about uh, sort of your past leading up to this decision. You, you've had kind of a tough bunch of decisions, uh, some very questionable split decisions that haven't gone your way. This decision was pretty clear cut, but were you at all worried when the judges were reading the scorecards? Um, I feel like I'm always worried, you know, ever since my fight uh, in Mexico, you never know how it's going to go. I felt like I won that fight in Mexico and, you know, and then also that night I watched uh, Justine Kish fight right before I went out there and I felt like Justine Kish won that fight and and they gave it to the other girl. So you never know what they're going to say, but I worked hard for it and I, I, in my heart, knew I won that fight, but you never know what they're going to do. They're going to choose, you know. Yeah, and there there were a couple ones on that night, so I, I can imagine that only uh, put that in the back of your mind. You're uh, you're four and four since coming to the UFC, kind of alternating wins and losses since you got here. Do you feel like this fight uh, sort of helped you turn a corner on that record? Um, I've been really like uh, trying different things and like going to different gyms and figuring things out. And recently, since since uh, my fight with uh, Carla Esparza, I really. Uh, changed things around and took control of my own camp and figure things out for myself. Like I really de- depended on coaches and stuff to tell me what to do in the past. And lately I've been just focusing on myself and telling myself what I need to do and telling coaches what to teach me. So it's kind of like a, like kind of taking control of it. And I feel like I figured it out and I think I've, I've won three, three wins in a row. I know my last fight was a, uh, they say it was a loss, but in my mind I won that fight and, and I feel like I'm doing things right now. And, uh, and I'm on the right track. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with you on that one. And we'd be talking about a fighter on a three-fight win streak right now if that was the case, um, if, if it did go your way. And so let's get a little bit into you talking about, you know, kind of taking ownership over your own training. Is is that something you're still doing uh, inside of, like, a large team gym? Or is that something you're kind of piecing together like we've seen some other fighters do, like, near Vegas? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of uh, – I've – I've divided everything apart. You know, I, I go to a boxing gym to, to learn boxing. I go to a, and it's a one-on-one at my boxing gym. I go to a, you know, team jujitsu gym to learn strictly jujitsu, wrestling to learn stri- strictly wrestling, conditioning to do my conditioning. You know, I've divided it all up so that I can focus on each thing individually. And I've done that since the Carla fight, and uh, I feel like I, I'm on the right track. And I feel more clear every time I walk into the gym. I'm not, like, thinking about MMA, MMA. I'm thinking about getting better at that one thing. And then when it comes to sparring, we put it all together. In, uh, so that, that's really interesting because I've heard people say it both ways. It, it, do you feel like that what you were doing at larger gyms, because we know you trained a little bit at TriStar, we know you trained at uh, Michigan Top Team, did you feel like you were just – uh, not getting the attention you needed, or it was just not as focused as you would like it to be? Um, a little bit of both. You know, I wasn't getting the attention. Being at big gyms, you know, there's so many people, especially like a, a gym like TriStar, there's so many uh, UFC fighters, you know, everybody needs the attention, and then you end up kind of being 
uh, I don't know, pushed aside a bit. And and you can't blame the the gym. There's so many tons of people there who are focused on themselves, you know. And then, but um, yeah, like uh, I just feel like uh, I wasn't getting enough one on one and enough focus on you know one specific fight. And and I feel like being at a big gym, you everything's kind of like uh, I don't know. It's not you don't get the. I feel like you don't get the best. Um, wrestling at like an MMA gym. You don't get the best jujitsu at an MMA gym. It's kind of, it's an MMA gym. You get a little bit of everything. You're not really focused on each thing. You know, I don't know. I just feel like it's a lot uh, more clear and, you know, working with the best people at what they do best. And um, this way I feel it's, it's more better for me. Yeah, I, I, I love that approach. It, it's definitely something we've seen a lot of different people uh, moving towards in, in the recent history. Uh, question about that though, with with being, you know, training at a wrestling gym, tra- training at a boxing gym, tra- training at a jujitsu gym, uh, is it hard to find people when it comes time to spar MMA rounds? Um, not really. I I have my my boxing coach at Empire Boxing. Um, he sets that up for me. He gets me guys uh, that are actually MMA fighters who who uh, take some time out to help me out. And uh, they know what they're doing because they're MMA fighters. And then they, he breaks down the boxing part of it. And uh, I know it's, it hasn't been difficult for me um, because of, you know, having the right coaches to set that up for me. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and is that all located up in Canada? Is that where that's been? Oh, I'm all over the place. I'm, I'm in Windsor and I drive out to like Ansburg. I drive out to a couple different gyms in Michigan. So it's great that I'm like right across the border from Detroit. So I'm constantly back and forth. You know, um, I'm everywhere. My car is literally, she, it literally died on me a week before the fight because <laughs> I'm just driving everywhere. Well, it's a good thing the win bonus came in then, huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a, you know, I was hoping for that. <laughs> so uh, let, let's sort of talk about uh, your your current path now. So, you, you know, you were on the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, you were heavily underrated at number 14, wound up in the semifinals. Right now, you, you like you said, you could be on a three-fight win streak, yet you're still only ranked 11th. Uh, in a division where you know three fights could get you really close to the top, do you think that there's a reason why people tend to under overlook you, or do you think it's just those poor decision calls uh, going the opposite way? Um, I think it's a lot of things. I mean, uh, I've because I've been you know testing out in the past. I've tested out different gyms where I've gone. This works for me, and I do good. This doesn't work for me, I lose. You know, some kind of back and forth, back and forth. Um, I see that playing a big role in in my ranking and and the way people look at me. But um, I feel like I'm on the right track now, and um, I, and I really don't give a shit <laughs> how people look at me. I'm just gonna do my own thing. I'm gonna focus on me and and focus on getting better. And and I am on the right track now. And hopefully, you know, I, I've proved in, in the past that uh, rankings don't mean anything. So. Uh, However they look at me, I'm going to continue to do well, continue to improve, and hopefully make my way to that belt. Yeah, and that, that's sort of a sentiment I've heard from so many fighters is that, you know, I, you know, screw the numbers. We don't really care what the number says. Uh, but, you, you know, you, you probably think about it at least in looking forward. You know, you want to be moving forward, especially after a nice uh, run that, like you're on right now. Is there a name you're looking forward to uh, that's maybe up in the rankings that you're hoping to help climb you up towards that title shot? I'm just hoping for somebody who's top five. I don't want to call anybody out. I just want to, I want to fight someone top five. You know, there's a lot of talented girls in our weight class. I've, I fly some great names. You know, people say, oh, uh, some people, uh, you know, have said that I don't deserve a top five or whatever. It's like I fought, I beat um, Carla Esparza. Nobody else has beaten her except for Joanna Jacek in, in 
this, you know, in the past. So um, I don't understand where that's coming from. And I've also beat Tisha Torres. You know, I've beat some good names, and I feel like I deserve it. And whoever's top five, I don't care who it is. But, you know, it's not top five. You mean the champ. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, I, I've beaten good names, you know, so – you know, give me a chance. And, and you've been in there with good names too. You know, it's not just that you've, uh, you know, you've you've beat some really good names, but you've every single fight you've had has been against a tough person. In the Ultimate Fighter, you fought the current champ, Rose Nami Yunus. Uh, what were your sort of your thoughts on uh, seeing her win the title and knowing that she's somebody you've shared the the cage with and even some training with uh, before in the past? Um, it really made me realize that. Um... You know, you know, Joanna, we looked at her as like, oh, she's so tough and nobody can beat her, nobody can beat her. And then I see somebody like uh, Rose beat her. It just makes me realize that, you know, we're all human. We all can be beat. And um, there is a huge chance that I can be in there with with them and and huge chance to fight Rose again. You know, I, I feel like the circumstances we were in in the past were were really shitty. You know, I got a week to prepare for a fight and, and I wasn't in my, my normal, you know, environment or anything um we were on the ultimate fighter and uh, I, I just wanted to go home honestly when i was on that show i just wanted to go home and so uh it would be really great to fight her again and um see how it is now you know we've both changed a lot and since then and i feel like a, i have a huge chance yeah and especially like you said if, if you're one fight away with that top fight or five fight or even two fights away, uh, it's it's really not that far off to think that a rematch could happen in the near future. Uh, and speaking of your next fight, obviously you don't want to call anybody out. That that's kind of your mo. Your your quiet storm, right? Not loud storm. Yeah. So uh, uh, while I know you don't want to call anybody out, is there a, a time period that you're looking forward to getting back in there? Are you feeling healthy after going 15 minutes? Uh, when would you like to see yourself back in the cage? Yeah, like I injured my leg before this fight, and I was able to be dominant in this fight. I, I do have, uh, you know, I have to get my an MRI and make sure everything's still normal for this fight. Uh, I mean, since the, that fight, and um, you know, once that's cleared, I'd like to get back in there right away. I'm ready for it. I mean, I always take about a week off, and then I'm back at it. So whenever, I'm ready. All right. I'll and, be ready. And, and we'd certainly like to catch up with you down the road when that fight does get booked. Once again, this was Randa Marcos fresh off of her victory over Juliana Lima at Ultim or UFC on Fox 27. Uh, Randa, thank you again so much for the time. No problem. Thank you. And those interviews were, of course, brought to you by an exciting new sponsor of ours, Garage Fit. Sometimes it's hard for us to take time out of our week to hit jujitsu practice and make it to the gym. We all have busy lives, but that doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality workout. GarageFit has all you need to create a quality workout right at home. Need a weighted vest for some sprints? They've got them. Need a foam roller to work out that kink in your leg? They have you covered. So whether you need some new plyo boxes, pull-up bands, battle ropes, or something else, head on over to garagegym.net. That's garagegym.net and get working out. We, of course, are Dave and Dan with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. Dave, you were lucky enough to sit down with Gina Carano and me, Randa Marcos, this week. What was your take on those two interviews? Yeah, we'll take it one by one in order. Carano first. So when I talked to her, I felt like she was someone who 
was mostly at peace with the fact that she's not in MMA anymore. You know, her career's going great. I, I think, honestly, she's had one of the best post-MMA careers you could name. Um, but there's still always that, you know, callback every once in a while where she thinks she wants to test herself and, and come back and fight. W- what did you make of that? Well, well, I think when you're that highly regarded of a MMA fighter like she was. I mean, she was 7 and 0. She only got stopped by Cyborg, which let's let's be honest, that's there's no shame in that. So, I think when you're that high of an athlete, there will always be that inkling. You know, I bet you Peyton Manning still thinks he could come back and play one more year and gets that feeling uh, you know, on a Sunday here and there. So, I, I think that'll always be there. Do I think she'll come back? Ah, I mean, the payday would have to be really good, especially now that she's making movies. I'm, I'm assuming she's getting paid better than she would to get punched in the face. Yeah, more. Yeah, you're probably right on that. It'd be interesting to actually see, uh, you know, I, what she could make on a pay-per-view, uh, her versus, you know, whoever, Amanda Nunes or, mm-hmm. what, you know, whatever it might be. I don't think it would be a cyborg rematch, but... Uh, you know, I mean, it could be a perfect storm later on this year. The UFC is coming off a bad pay-per-view showing overall in 2017. So, you know, she is a name, but yeah, I would put the odds very low. I'd call it 20%. When it comes to random Marcos, what I took away from your interview with her is this girl doesn't have a camp. She's a nomad. Yeah. Yeah, I I love the, the, how candid she was about that though, because she said that, she just feels that, like, in those bigger camps, there's too many people getting ready for fights. There's too many people uh, to for the coaches to focus on. And that if she moves around and sees all of her different coaches at all of her different places, she feels like she gets better. And she says she's taken the ownership over some of her game planning now. And, and if you look at her last three fights, I mean, she's 2-1, and one, but really she's 3-0 and oh, uh, if, you, if you take away that bad split decision. Uh, and, and I think for that reason, it's clearly working. Yeah, well, speaking of split decisions, uh, if you're listening to this podcast by now, we're going to assume you know that Leota Machida had a pretty nice uh, win over the weekend, split decision nonetheless over Eric Anders, friend of the pod, as they say. Um, What did you make of that performance? Is Leoto back? And where do we go from here with a prospect we were very high on in Eric Anders? So, so I think with Machida, he is still very relevant after this one. I mean, he got beat by Brunson before, but like he, Brunson is a storm. If you can't weather it really early on, it winds up being really, really bad really, really fast. With Anders, I, th- I still think he could be that prospect we need, but this is a learning experience. This is the first time he's fought somebody as insanely technical as Loyola Machida can be. Right? Machida didn't look amazing but he looked like he was doing exactly what he needed to to frustrate Anders and stay away from dangerous exchanges with Anders and I think that's probably why he won the decision Anders is going to need to learn to cut off the cage better against somebody with insane footwork like that and to sort of figure out how to draw somebody into his fight I you know I happen to love this style of matchmaking I happen to love this kind of resume builder for a prospect like Anders, even though he lost, you know, I think back to what GSP learned in that first loss to Matt Hughes, couldn't even look him in the eye, right? Came back, mm-hmm. beat him a year and a half later. It's a learning experience. You win, Sometimes you learn more from your losses than you do from your wins. So I think Anders will be back, and I think this was great. 
as opposed to, you know, Shevchenko fighting no name Kochiella or whatever her name was, that was a good match that they made. I like seeing prospects fight, you know, someone, uh, Machida, he's not going to challenge for the title. This is what he should be doing, more of a gatekeeper status. But this all ties in. Actually, I want to take a step back. Let's talk about Mario Yam and that stoppage with Valentina Shevchenko. <laughs> so, you know, I, Shevchenko put on a beatdown. Uh, Cochiella, how do you pronounce her name? You're good with name pronunciation. I think you have it right. Okay. Cochiera. Cochiera. Uh, she was moving constantly. It was very tough for people to watch when Valentina got to the mounted crucifix position, landed, you know, I didn't count, but a lot of unanswered shots. But Fight Metric has the whole fight at 126 to 1. Awful. I I mean, it's (laughs) it's awful, but, but I, I have to say one thing. There is a precedent set in MMA. I went back. I counted. When DC got to that same position on Volcano's Demir, do you want to guess how many shots DC landed unanswered from the Mounted Crucifix before the fight with Volcano's Demir was stopped? I'll say 32. 50. 50 Ooh, okay. unanswered shots. So, you know, the punches are shorter. Uh, I don't I would love to hear someone like Big John McCarthy just speak about that particular position and how you ref a fight, because obviously the fighter is not intelligently defending himself when one arm is captured. It can't do anything. And they're ta- they're just eating shots to the head, but they're not huge shots. They're almost like little rabbit punches. My point being, you know, it should have been stopped. But guess what? It was also a bad match that was made. Valentina Shevchenko is top of the world, 1%, and this girl's making her UFC debut. That's a little unfair, too. That that wasn't the the Anders Machida-type matchup. That was the exact opposite of it. Yeah. So... You know, I, uh, God, I see both sides. All right, let's move on. Um, let's talk about with Anders not, I don't want to say he's not a prospect anymore, but he almost loses his prospect status in a way, right? Because he headlined a show. So mm-hmm. great on him. Nice resume builder. So we started thinking about, well, who else is that middleweight that is a prospect? And middleweight surprisingly has a lot of depth. You know, you always hear about how many fighters are at featherweight, 155, 170. And I think sometimes you forget that middleweight has about 50 fighters on the roster. Am I wrong in saying that? Is it 50? No, I, I think it's, it's right around there. Yeah, right. So fifty. there are 50 middleweight fighters in the UFC, and I think this point gets forgotten because everyone, you know, always points to the fact that there are like 70 welterweights, 75 featherweights. But middleweight has some prospect depth, so we thought... No better way to celebrate Anders, even though he didn't get the the victory. Uh, Let's talk about the five best middleweight prospects in the UFC right now. What do you say, Gumby? Let's do it. Let's count them down. All right, let's count them down. It's what we love to do on this show. Top five countdown of the five best middleweight prospects in the UFC begins right now. And we start with number five, Carl Robertson. Talk to him about us, Gumby. So I really love Baby K because, uh, you know, he started on the Dana White Contender Series, the Tuesday night series there, and he won his fight up a weight class at light heavyweight in 15 seconds with an elbow to the temple. And I was like, they're going to sign him because he got the, the KO in 15 seconds, but I wasn't sold on him yet. 
And then he came out and he had that fight with uh, Darren Stewart in his UFC debut. And not only did he beat up Darren Stewart, but he showed he's got a crazy good striking and a crazy good ground game. So I really like, even though he's only 1-0 in the UFC, this is a prospect. Uh, who's pretty well-rounded, I think. Yeah, you know, I I love that you said that, well-rounded. I was going to point to the fact this is a 6-0 fighter as a pro, 6-0. He has two wins by submissions, uh, both arm bars, but guess what? This is a guy with a kickboxing background, and mm-hmm. that's something I really like to see when you watch an amateur fighter or a young prospect coming up the ranks and you look at their background. I like seeing the fact that this is a guy who comes from the world of kickboxing, but two submission wins on his resume, that to me speaks to the well-roundedness by stock in Carl Robertson right now. Uh, we'll move on then to number four, unless you had anything else to say about him. No, I was going to say part of that kickboxing background, he fought Jerome LeBanner too, which if you're a kickboxing fan, uh, obviously that's a name that you know. So, I mean, he, he's not just stepping in there with a couple of amateurs. He's, he's thrown down with some good dudes. We move now to number four. Number four is a friend of the show, and it is Israel Adesanya. Yeah, I I love Israel Adesanya. He debuts this weekend, actually, uh, down in Perth uh, against Rob Wilkinson. So he hasn't fought yet, but he is 11-0 with 11 finishes, (laughs) and he's never gone to the third round. All of them KOs or TKOs. If you like a guy with a good kickboxing background, obviously you like Adesanya. He, uh, while they, they have documented his, his kickboxing career at like 60 fights, he claims he's fought like 80 or 90 times. Um, there's like 30 or 40 of them out there that aren't in the the databases, so to speak. Mm. So, I mean, this is a dude with insane kickboxing background and insane kickboxing talent. Reminds me of one Hickson Gracie, who's 400 and 0. All right. (laughs) Uh, we move now. Not not quite that extravagant, but yeah, you get the point. We move now to number three and he's two and 0 in the UFC. It's Trevin Giles. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the problem as he has come to be called. Uh, once again, just a guy who has, uh, like that freakish strength and he's super, super athletic. You, I mean, you get lots of athletes at this weight class because in order to cut down to 185, you already got to be a pretty big dude. Um, but this is a guy who beat like a BJJ black belt in, uh, Antonio Braga Neto in his last time out and didn't look really threatened by that dude at any point in time. Um, so two TKO wins in his first two fights. I'm pretty sure he's the one who who sent uh, James Bochnovic off on a stretcher in a debut, if I'm not mistaken, too. So crazy yes. good power, super athletic. You know, just an just a really, really, really fun guy to watch. Another guy also has some submission wins on his resume, a couple of KOs. Uh, look into Trevin Giles, the problem, if you haven't already, because he is an up-and-coming fighter to watch. He was our number three prospect at middleweight, but our number two prospect at middleweight, while being 1-0 and in the UFC, boasts my favorite nickname currently in existence right now. It is <laughs> I was going to say the same fucking thing. <laughs> it is Julian Marquez, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Talk to us about him. So uh, he's been on my radar for a long time, and not just as a middleweight. He was on my radar as a light heavyweight. Uh, a little while ago, he fought for Combate Americas, um, and he knocked out Matt Hamill, which, don't get me wrong, Matt Hamill towards the end of his career not super exciting but that's a hell of a name to have on your resume when you're only like four and one or five and one uh and on top of that he went into once again the dana white contender series and he knocked out 
pretty much the person that everybody wanted in the UFC. And that's Phil Hawes, who's like a highly touted prospect who trains with John Jones all the time. And he head kicked him in one of the most devastating ways. So he's got good boxing, good kickboxing. And then once again, you know, not to keep harping on uh, Darren Stewart here, because it seems like, unfortunately, we keep talking about his losses. But he, he submitted Darren Stewart in his debut with a pretty sick choke. So, I, I mean... Julian Marquez, surprisingly well-rounded, even though he looks like a crazy striker who's going to knock you out all the time. Uh, And I think for that reason, he's dangerous. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think, you know, we put him at, he's only 1-0, as most of these guys are at number two, but we're very high on the skill set. That's why he ranks number two. Number one, however, you know, it's almost cheating. We went back and forth on this because the guy has eight fights in the UFC. So can you really consider nine nine technically if you count as no contest with Kevin Casey? That's right. The eye poke of doom. So is he really a prospect? You know, you could tweet at us at Top Turtle MMA if you think this was cheating. But we felt like the hype wasn't really properly surrounding him. So we're making him our number one prospect. And I'm, of course, talking about six and two and one in the UFC. UFC or six and two with one no contest Antonio Carlos Jr. Yeah shoe face to me I I counted still as a prospect because if you look back at his resume he's got one loss uh, at middleweight because one of his losses came at light heavyweight to Patrick Cummins he's got one loss at middleweight and it came to Dan Kelly which to me is like your standard process prospect loss he got tagged by a dude who's you know, maybe not got so much power, but definitely got way more experience. Since then, he's rattled off four wins, so he's 4-0 and in his last four. And maybe the best name on there is Jack Marshman or Eric Spicely. I'd say so like, Marshman. It, yeah, probably Marshman. So if you look at those, would you still consider somebody fighting Jack Marshman a prospect? I would. Uh, I, I wouldn't call him like a star yet. So uh, I, I think Antonio Carlos Jr. is still a good prospect, plus... He's got a flying triangle finish of Gary Tonin, which is pretty baller. <laughs> and he's unranked. So that, that was, and he's unranked. Yeah, that was the other criteria we were absolutely looking at. So let's recap the top five middleweight prospects in the UFC. Number five, Carl Robertson. Number four, Israel Adesanya. Number three, Trevin Giles. Number two, the Cuban Missile Crisis, Julian Marquez. And number one, shoeface Antonio Carlos Jr., two and one, Look out for them. Also, some of the better nicknames in all of MMA. All right. (laughs) We will move now. I bet you forgot. There is a UFC pay-per-view this weekend. It's 221. It's Rockhold versus Romero. And we're going to give you our top three matches we're looking forward to from it. But let's talk about promotional consideration. Who sponsors this breakdown, Gumby? So this spot breakdown is sponsored by Dead Frog Brewery. Dead Frog Brewery is a Canadian craft brewery nestled right next to Vancouver, Canada, and they bring you high-quality craft breweries with no pasteurization and no preservatives. Head on over to deadfrog.ca and check out what they got online or head to your nearest liquor store and pick some up today. All right, we'll start with the main event because it's a banger of a fight. This is a fight I think we've wanted to see for the past couple of years. There's been, you know, middleweight, interestingly enough, at the top has kind of stayed the same more or less for five years. Or, sorry, for two years at the top five, right? It's been Rockhold, it's been Weidman, it's been Romero, and it's been Souza. I'd say those four guys and then the Bisping and the 
you know, fluky title win and then a kind of weird title defense against Dan Henderson uh, and then losing it to GSP. It's almost like the title itself uh, since t- early 2016 has been a little fluky or weird, but the, the top of the division is it's killer. Pretty- yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it, it's pretty safe. Yeah, as solid as you get. And we're finally getting a matchup. I think we've all thought about for a few years. And it's Luke Rockhold, a minus 140 favorite to Romero, very slight underdog at plus 130. Where do you lean in this contest? You know, when when they announced this fight, you know, obviously I was looking forward to Rockhold versus Whitaker. When they announced this fight, I personally was like, oh, that's Rockhold's fight. Because I've always been, to steal your word, a big Rockhold mark. Mm -hmm. uh, Because he's huge for that weight class. His striking's good. And he's got underrated submissions. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, like, he's submitted Bisping and Machida back-to-back before um, with some pretty nice jokes. So I've always thought of him as kind of like a, almost like an underrated, even though he's a favorite here in a championship matchup and was a champion. I don't think people have ever realized how good he is. The more and more I think about this fight, I'm leaning Yoel Romero. Uh, and part of the reason why is that Romero has crazy knockout power all the time. The dude's got, I think he's got six KOs in the UFC or TKOs. And five of them have come in the third round. Mm. So he's able to finish somebody at all times. And if there's something we question about Rockhold, it, it's the fact that he can't really take a punch. Right, he took like kind of a wimpy punch from Bisping and went out. He took a glancing spinning back kick from Vidor and went out. So like, not I'm not saying he's like weak chinned, but if there's anything we question about Luke Rockhold, it's his chin, right? Yeah, I. <sighs> and, and can you imagine Luke Rockhold taking Yoel Romero down? No, he's an Olympic fucking wrestler. <laughs> right. So like, if if we're talking style matchup here, I, I keep thinking about it more and more, and I want to talk myself into Rockhold. But I just can't see what what is he going to do to stop Romero? Is he going to win a decision? He's going to de- watch out for those hands for five fucking rounds. Well, uh, I don't know, man. It, it just to me depends on which Rockhold is showing up because I think something happened there. I don't know that I blame Rockhold's chin for that loss to Bisping because I feel like I blame his hands because he literally had his hands at his waist and was like, hey, Michael, come hit me. And guess what? Michael Bisping, still a professional fighter, got him in (laughs) got him in the perfect spot. And, you know, I think Luke was unhappy at the time. He was trying to get into acting. He was touting the fact that he's also a male model. I I think he's a little more motivated now. I think something was going on there. That's just my, my personal take, not that I have any inside info on that. So, you know, he comes back. He puts a whooping on David Branch. Kind of took him a couple of minutes to get going yeah. in that fight. Let, if you're let's, let's talk about beating David Branch, though, too, because David Branch also tagged him and made him look a little woozy when he had him up against the cage. Mm-hmm. Yep. You do that once against Romero and you're sleeping. Well, the thing I was going to say with Romero, though, is I still don't know that... I don't know that I trust Romero in a five-round fight. We saw him against Whitaker. That was a good fight, and he went mm-hmm. all five rounds. Uh, definitely tired a little bit in four and five. I always have the image in my mind of him not being able to get off the stool versus Kennedy. Now, that was also after he got tagged. The guy's a freak athlete, but he does carry a lot of muscle. He's also one of the older people in the UFC. I mean, by MMA standards, you know, dog years to human years, MMA fighters to human fighters or human years. uh, The guy's like 68. 
Yeah, in, in, in two years, he'll, or in two months, rather, two months, rather, he'll be turning 41. Yeah, so I, to me, the path to victory for Rockhold is stay away from the power, obviously. Try to get into that rounds four and five, and, you know, just try to outwork him, outpoint him. You're right, he's not going to take him down. But, you know, I also never in my wildest imagination thought Luke Rockhold would mount Chris Weidman and and ground him, pound him from the mount position. That's true. You know, Rockhold grappling wise is he, he and hey, who does he train with? Habib, DC, Kane. Yeah, well, he's I, he's actually training in Florida now a lot with Combat Club. Oh, okay. Uh so so he is train. I think he still trains with them a little bit. Here's a fun question for you though before you uh it, before you officially launch your pick as Luke Rockhold by decision. Who was the last person Luke Rockhold beat by decision? Um, well, in the UFC, he who did he finish in his? Wasn't there he finished someone awful with a Kimura, and I can't remember who that was right now. Oh, Tim Bosch. Tim Bosch, right? <laughs> uh, Tim Bosch is an awful, but yeah, that was a dominant inverted triangle Kimura. <laughs> it's listed as I. You know, I'm gonna have to say. It goes back to strike force, and was it? Did he outlast Jacare in a five-round title fight? Via oh, you are right that he did win the championship by outlasting Jacare, but after that, he defended his title against Tim Kennedy. Oh, okay, yeah. But he has not won a decision in the UFC. Right, right. Actually, he has not gone to decision in right. the UFC. Right. That's interesting. That that, yep. that that is interesting. All right, so yeah, I think is your official pick, uh, uh, Yoel Romero. Now I'm going Yoel Romero finish. Okay, yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I think I think odds makers have this right that Romero's the slight underdog. I'll go. See, I don't even like Rockhold. I'll go Rockhold. <laughs> I'll go Rockhold by decision. Boom. All right. All right, we'll move now to our next fight that we are very excited about, and it's Mark Hunt versus Curtis Blades. This is a heavyweight contest that has the potential for fireworks. Hunt, the plus 135 dog. Blades, the minus 155 favorite. Talk to us about Blades being the favorite and who you got. Uh, I think Blades is rightfully the favorite uh, because of his fighting style. He's not dumb enough to trade with Mark Hunt for more than five seconds. And if you look at most of the guys that Mark Hunt is like knocking out uh, as of late, it's people who, like, got pulled into a firefight. And, and if you look back at every single one of Curtis Blades' fights, he does not get pulled into a firefight. He's smarter than that. So I, I kind of expect him to, like, almost go with, like, the Brock Lesnar style of attacking uh, Mark Hunt. You know, like, rip him down, beat him up a little bit. While he's on his way up, beat him up a little bit more. And as soon as he gets to the feet, take him down again. Yeah, I I agree with that. I have nothing to say against that. So put all the money, put the kids' college savings on uh, Curtis Blades. And an and underrated part about Curtis Blades, too, right now he's on a four-fight winning streak, technically three if you, you don't count the fact that he popped for weed uh, after beating Adam Milstead. But other than that four-fight winning streak, he has a doctor stoppage loss to Francis Naganu. Apart from that, he's undefeated in the UFC. Boom. All right. The third and final fight we're most excited about, and we hope you're excited about, uh, is Li Jinglang versus Jake Matthews. Uh, so why is this fight interesting? Jake Matthews, at one point in the UFC, uh, he's an Australian fighter. This 
takes place in Australia, so it's a home game for him. But he was at one point about five and zero in the UFC, if I'm not mistaken. Or yeah, I think he had one loss in there to James Vick. I think he was four and one. You're right. He had one loss to James Vick, four and one. Everyone's high as all heck on him, and then back to back losses to Kevin Lee and Andrew Holbrook completely set his career back. He came back in November of last year and beat uh, Bejan Velakchevich. Velichevich uh, via split decision. So he's trying to right the ship on his career. And as we know in the UFC, I mean, you got to reel off six, seven, eight wins in a row to get a title shot, unless you're Conor McGregor knocking out fools in the first round and coming up with quippy lines on the mic. So I always love to see, uh, you know, what does a fighter do? After two losses in a row, because it's nut cutting time now, like he needs to reel off a bunch of wins in a row or his career is going to be in jeopardy. So it's Li Lang going into uh, Jake Matthews home country, Australia. Matthews, the plus 165 dog, Li Lang, the minus 190 favorite. What do you think? So this is interesting for me for two reasons. Number one, all those things you said about Jake Matthews. Where does he go next? I mean, he, he's young. He's super, super young. He's only 23 years old. Okay. So in one sense, you're right. It is that time. But also one of the things I think you failed to mention was that his win against Bojan Velichevich was his first UFC fight at welterweight. So he's a young guy who's been bulking up a little bit. And I think that the cut down to 155 was starting to get taxing, and that's maybe why he lost some of those fights. So now he's up to a more normal weight, the weight he was fighting at before he got to the UFC. So he's 1-0 at welterweight, if you want to look at it that way. And the other reason why this fight is exciting is because I think people sleep on Li Jingliang. Uh, after losing like a kind of a crappy submission loss to uh, Kita Nakamura back in uh, 2004, 15, the intern's telling me he's four and zero in the UFC with three KOs. Mm. Uh, and the only person he didn't KO was Frank Camacho. And that's because that dude is damn near impossible to knock out. You could hit him with a two by four and he'd still be walking. So I, I think people are sleeping on how powerful Lee Jing Leong is. He's only 29 and he's a fucking brown belt in jujitsu. So like, this is a dude who could be a real big threat at welterweight the dude might be ranked after beating Jake Matthews if he wins this one. You know, it's interesting because a couple of weeks ago we did our top five uh, potential countries to claim their first champion. Uh, Cuba was an honorable mention. Here we go this weekend. Cuba could claim a champion. We also mentioned Julian Marquez, uh, you know, today in our top five uh, unranked middleweight prospects. And then you have Li Jinglang, kind of the flag bearer for China right now. Very, it seems very dangerous, tons of potential. It's just very interesting. Uh, you know, as we see some of these countries put forth uh, better and better fighters. And I just I go back to that. I encourage people to go back in the archives and listen to our top five uh, countries who could claim their first champion sometime soon in the UFC. Very exciting yeah, it's a, stuff. It, it's a fun talk. And, uh, I, you know, I'm, I mean, I always like looking for prospects from other countries because there's a million here in the U.S., uh, but there's a lot not getting their their fair shake elsewhere. So that about does it for us. We, of course, want to thank our guest, Gina Carano, Randa Marcos. We want to thank our new sponsor, ADK Fightwear. Go to ADKFightwear.com. You will be the best-dressed guy or gal at your jiu-jitsu or MMA competition. Their graphics are clean, crisp, 
We like the way you look. You're going to like the way you look. They like the way you're going to look. I guarantee it. It's adkfightwear.com. And we, of course, want to thank our partners, flowcombat.com. And we, of course, are Top Turtle MMA, David Tremonti, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. We'll be back next week. And thank you, the fans, for listening.